Good morning. Welcome to Northminster Church on this beautiful sunny morning. Glad that all of you are here. And welcome to you, whether you are joining us in person or online. We are so glad that you have taken time to be with us this morning. I want to say a special word of welcome to any of you who are visiting with us. I don't think I see any new faces, but just in case I'm missing you, we are particularly glad that you are here and hope that you will participate in all aspects of our worship service, including communion, which we celebrate weekly. Uh, We have gluten-free wafers available if you need them. Just get my attention as you come through. We will make sure you get uh, get that gluten-free wafer. I hope you will stay after worship today for a time of fellowship. That's out in our Narthex area. For today only, uh, our snacks and drinks are going to be on the table in our media room, which is directly behind us on this side. We're using, we had to move some furniture around, so the snacks will be in there. Um, So if you are looking for them when we get done, that's where they will be. We have several things going on this evening. There will be youth at 5 o'clock, then potluck at 6, and a business meeting at 7. This one is quite important, as we will be talking about and voting on our financial ministry plan for next year. So please make uh, plans to be here for that. A couple of notes about our order of worship today. Today is Covenant Sunday, the Sunday that we celebrate the covenant that was made by our founders when Northminster came into being. And service could run a little bit long, so to help with that, there will not be a children's message. Uh, We are going to go directly from the opening hymn to the reaffirmation of the covenant, which is in your order of worship. If you can, please stay standing, because we're going to go directly into it. If you need to sit, that is perfectly okay. So kiddos, you stay in your seats. Don't come up, because you'll just be up here by yourselves. There's also a small edit to our second set of readings. Uh, Turner, this is especially for you, because you're doing, are you doing those? Whoever has the second readings. Mark, thank you. Uh, I am just going to read the Matthew version of the resurrection, as opposed to all four, as was my intentional plan, again, for timing. Trust me when I say, all four gospels tell of women at the tomb first, okay? <laughs> also, is Patrin here? Okay, uh, there is a typo in our floral dedication. Patrin's father's name was Finner, not Sinner. Uh, <laughs> so, Patrin, we're sorry about that typo in the order of worship. I'm glad you caught it. Um, do please allow the family to take flowers first, and then, Patrin, after y'all have a, cho- a chance, is it okay if others take some flowers? Wonderful. So, give them first crack, and then y'all go right ahead. All right, let's take a deep breath together. That was, that was a lot of announcements. We take this deep breath to prepare ourselves for worship, to give our minds and our hearts and our bodies a chance to catch up with each other. Take that deep breath. Close your eyes if it helps. Let that breath not only fill your lungs, but let it go all the way down to your toes as you breathe out. Breathe out your distractions as best you can. Breathe out those things that are stressing you. Breathe out the things in the future that are coming that you can't change. Breathe in again. Know that you are loved by God just as you are. And then hear this call to worship. 
In the days of Noah, God placed a rainbow in the sky as the sign of a covenant of God's love for all the earth. In the colors of the rainbow, we see the sign of God's grace for all creation. In the days of Moses, the words of God were written on tablets of stone as the sign of a covenant between God and all of God's people. In the tablets of stone, we see the sign of God's hope for each to live in peace with God and neighbor. In the days of the prophets, God promised to place a new covenant in our hearts. As members of the living body of Christ, we see the sign of God's promise among us. On this Covenant Sunday, we celebrate and remember the promises, ideals, and hard work upon which Northminster Church was founded. As founding members, we are holders of memory and dreams of what this church could be. As new members, we are inheritors of those memories and dreams, carrying them forward for new generations. Together, we who are founders and you who are new members make Northminster Church what it is today, an inclusive, loving, thoughtful bunch of church misfits. Troublemakers. Rebels. Nonconformists. And seekers who found God and each other in a good place. Together, we live out Northminster's covenant. Together, we are the body of Christ. Thanks be to God.
please join me in the reaffirmation of the covenant, which is printed on an insert in your order of worship. The grace of God is making of us a fellowship to embody and express the spirit of Christ. Therefore, we covenant together to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love each other as we love ourselves. We further commit to the freedom of the individual. The freedom of the local church. The larger body of Christ. The servant role of leadership within the church. Following the model of our servant Lord and to full partnership of all God's people in mission and ministry. Theological education and congregation colleges, and seminaries. Characterized by reverence for the biblical authority and respect for open inquiry and responsible scholarship. The proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ as revealed in the Gospels. And the call of God to all people to repentance and faith, reconciliation and hope, social and economic justice. The principle of a free church in a free state. And to the opposition to any effort by either church or state to use the other for its own purposes. We now, the people of the church and congregation, compass about with a great cloud of witnesses, remembering the sacrifices of those who have gone before us, upon whose foundations we are building, dedicated ourselves anew to the teaching of the word of God in both precept and example. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless God's holy name. Amen. You may be seated.
But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? The man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pangs in childbirth exceedingly great. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. A reading from Exodus 15. When the horses of Pharaoh and his chariots and his chariot drivers went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then the prophet Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and with dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. Then Moses ordered Israel to set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness, but found no water. From 1 Corinthians. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions just as I handed them on to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. Any man who prays or prophesies with something on his head shames his head. But any woman who prays or prophecies with her head unveiled shames her head. It is one and the same thing as having her head shaved. For if a woman will not veil herself, then she should cut off her hair. But it is shameful for a woman to have her hair cut off or to be shaved. She should wear a veil. For a man ought not to have his head veiled, since he is the image and reflection of God, but woman is the reflection of man. Indeed, man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for the sake of woman, but woman for the sake of man. For this reason, a woman ought to have authority over her head because of angels." 
Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man or man independent of woman. For just as woman came from man, so man comes through woman, but all things come from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head unveiled? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, is it dishonoring to him? But if a woman has long hair, is it her glory? For her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone is disposed to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. A reading from Esther. Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think that the king, in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the, for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, if you would, please stand, if you are able, and join me in the historical litany that is on the back side of that insert. In times to come, your children will ask you, why did God ask us to obey the laws? On that first morning, God called us. God called us from nothing. Out of nothing came being. Out of darkness came light. Out of chaos came order. Out of nothing came life. On that first morning, God called us. This morning, God calls us to be the people of faith in the midst of meaninglessness. In the midst of meaninglessness, God calls us to me. Out of brokenness, God calls us to wholeness. Out of divisiveness, God calls us to community. Out of tears, God calls us to laughter. Out of self-centeredness, God calls us to love one another. Out of unfaithfulness, God calls us to faith. Out of death, and we will say to our children, Come with us and worship God, who has created and is creating in our midst. Come with us and keep covenant. In times to come, we will tell our children, Once we were slave people, and now we are free. Once we were no people, and now we are God's people. Out of death to resurrection, out of chaos to rebirth, out of unfaithfulness to faith. Praise, Praise God for these wonderful gifts. Amen. You may be seated. This morning I'd like to share with you a prayer that I did not write. It was written by the great Thomas Merton. It is one of my favorites, especially when I don't know what to pray. So I hope it will serve the same role for you. Let's pray together. 
My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that you will never, I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore will I trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you never leave me to face my perils alone. Lord, let Thomas's prayer be our prayer. Amen. A reading from 1 Corinthians. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is a God not of disorder, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be subordinate, as the law also says. If there is something they want to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. A reading from Matthew, and remember, women were the first uh, portrayers of the news of Jesus' resurrection in all four Gospels. Here's what Matthew's version says. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and sisters to go to Galilee. There they will see me. A reading from 1 Timothy. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument, also that the women should dress themselves in moderate clothing with reverence and self-control, not with their hair braided or with gold, pearls, or expensive clothes, but with good works, as is proper for women who profess reverence for God. Let a woman learn in silence with full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She is to keep silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, provided they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. A reading from Romans 16. Paul writes, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church, so that you may welcome her in the Lord as is fitting for the saints, and help her in whatever way, in whatever she may require from you, for she has been a benefactor of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epaetnus, who was the first convert in Asia for Christ. Greet Mary, who has worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, 
my fellow Israelites who were in prison with me. They are prominent among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. A reading from Titus. Likewise, tell the older women to be reverent in behavior, not to be slanderers or enslaved to, or enslaved to much wine. They are to teach what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be self-controlled, chaste, good managers of the household, kind, submissive to their husbands, so that the word of God may not be discredited. And finally, a reading from the second chapter of Acts. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these people are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, what this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Let's pray together. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. A few months ago, I found myself in tears at my desk here at work. Um, probably not a great surprise. You saw last week, I am a crier. Uh, but these were tears of frustration and defeat. Tears for sister ministers and, church, and the church as the whole. What brought me to tears was a list of 170 Southern Baptist churches said to have women serving with pastor in their title. The list was compiled by a gentleman named Mike Law. Uh, he's from Virginia. I hesitate to call him a pastor due to his behavior, but technically he is one. The list is 218 pages long and includes detailed information such as photographs, website captures and staff listings and also addresses for all of these churches that are accused of being out of step with the Southern Baptist doctrine on women in ministry, namely that women cannot be in ministry. Pictures were included on the list. Some of them also included the women's children. If nothing else, this was a massive safety issue. There was then a page created on the Southern Baptist uh, Convention's website to promote a constitutional amendment. Now, this was not a scientific study or a statistical study, this list that the guy put together. Even so, and this is according to that Southern Baptist webpage, what is revealed is that the numbers are not decreasing, they are increasing, of women in ministry. Nashville, we have a problem and adopting this constitutional amendment against women in ministry is part of the solution. Now you might wonder, why is this an issue? 
Southern Baptists haven't allowed women to be pastors for years, which is sort of true. Uh, People flew under the radar, as we see with these 218 churches, and this was just Virginia and Texas. Kind of flew under the radar if you didn't make a big deal out of it. But this uh, amendment against women in ministry was never enshrined in the organization's constitution. And this was specifically about a woman, any woman, having pastor in her title. Unsurprisingly, Mike Law's letter, uh, was no, there was an open letter to the Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee. It got thousands and thousands of signatures. Then at this year's annual meeting, Southern Baptist messengers, who are representatives of individual churches who go to the meeting, they voted to approve a change to Article 3, Paragraph 1 of the SBC's Constitution. The new wording now reads that cooperating SBC churches affirm, appoint, or employ only men as any kind of pastor or elder as qualified by Scripture. This new language requires two votes to be made official, so it will not become official until after next year's meeting. But without a doubt, this will become part of the SBC Constitution. Why do I mention this? Well, because while the role of women is more than settled here, there have been female pastors throughout Northminster's history. My presence is proof of that. This is very much an issue in the church at large. And it's not just our Southern Baptist siblings. There are many other denominations who don't allow women pastors. And until I or any of our girls who end up being called into ministry can stand in any pulpit in Monroe, which is not possible now, this continues to be an issue that we must talk about and understand. So there are two inseparable elements when it comes to this conversation. The first one is context with the addition of patriarchy, which we'll get to in a second. So, context. If women aren't supposed to be in ministry or leadership, someone should really tell the women in the Bible. Deborah was a military leader and judge to all of Israel. That's Judges 4. Huldah was a prophet used by King Josiah in 2 Kings. We all know the story of Esther and that she saved her people. Zelophehad's five daughters stood up to Moses to inherit their father's property, which at the time was not allowed for women. That's in Numbers 27. In the New Testament, we have Anna. She was a prophet in the temple when Jesus came there as a baby. That's Luke 7. As I've said now twice, but I'll say it again, women are the first evangelist of Jesus' resurrection in every one of the Gospels. And then there's that list of women that you heard and we'll talk about a bit more in a second. Now, to think about the context of specific passages, let's think about the creation story. But first, I'm going to share with you a quote from Dr. Meredith Stone. She's the executive director of Baptist Women in Ministry. She was here at my installation. She's also a fabulous Old Testament scholar. She said this, and I think it's wonderful. The woman is created from the man's rib, not his foot. So they would stand side by side instead of him ruling over her. It's also important to notice, and I don't know that I'd ever notice this, the command about not eating from the tree is given before the woman is created. And still the man doesn't hesitate. Why is that so rarely mentioned? 
Let's talk about the context of women in submission. This is Colossians 3, Ephesians 5, Titus 2, 1 Peter 3. As with all epistles, all of the letters, which is the majority of the New Testament, the instructions in these letters were written for a specific community with specific challenges at a very specific time. These instructions were never intended to be for all people at all times. And while these passages talk about women submitting, other New Testament passages specifically talk about mutuality between husbands and wives. And here's perhaps the most important thing about these submission passages. Some passages tell wives to submit also address slaves submitting to their masters, specifically Colossians 3 and Ephesians 6. No one follows that part of those verses anymore. Let's talk about the context of women in leadership in that 1 Corinthians passage, which makes me angry every time I hear it. Paul's addressing the need for orderliness in worship, specifically speaking in tongues. I don't know about you, but I don't know a lot of Baptist congregations that speak in tongues anymore. So why do they follow the portion of that passage about women in ministry? In 1 Timothy, the Greek word for to assume authority is used here and only here, which is a problem because we can't then compare it to other passages, which is what a lot of textual, textual criticism in the Bible is about. Comparing to other places, you see that word uh, come up. So we don't know for sure what Paul is talking about. We don't know that he is talking about the same authority that comes with church leadership. What we can tell contextually is that the use of the word authority seems to indicate an assumption of inappropriate power over others given that God alone is the ultimate power. Understandably, that would be inappropriate no matter your gender. Now let's get back to patriarchy, kind of the elephant in the room. To say that the patriarchy has influenced the Bible and Christianity <laughs> is like saying that the Notre Dame flag that hangs proudly on our house makes us stand out with all of our LSU neighbors. <laughs> it's a no-brainer. And there's both ancient and modern patriarchy to think about. And I know you know this, but let me give you an example that you might not be aware of. In Romans 16, that passage that I read where Paul's greeting everybody, Paul lists woman after woman involved in ministry. One is Phoebe. She's identified as a deacon. Another is Junia, identified as an apostle. But there's been a concerted effort to erase ministering women from the text. And I'll give you an example. There was a 1986 Ryrie Study Bible it specifically translates Phoebe's role as servant, not deacon. And here's the study note to go along with that verse. The word translated servant is often translated deacon, which leads some to believe that Phoebe was a deaconess. However, the word is more likely used here as an unofficial sense of helper. I can't curse from the pulpit, but what I will say is that is just rubbish. Here's another example. Junia was accepted as an, until nearly, as an apostle until nearly modern times when her name began to be translated as a man's name, Junius. 
New Testament scholar Elton J. Epps did uh, research on Greek New Testaments from the 1500s through the 20th century. And that research showed that the Greek name Junia was almost universally translated in its female form until the 20th century. Until the 20th century, when the name suddenly began to be translated as Junius, a man's name. Reason for that? 20th century assumption that a woman couldn't possibly be an apostle. Now, how do we respond to that and so much more? What is our response to our Southern Baptist siblings and others who would limit women's role in the church? I have four thoughts. First three I borrowed from Dr. Meredith Stone, who I mentioned before. Uh, the first one is mine, because it's not as diplomatic. Here's the first one. Women in leadership expand our imagination of God's nature. What that means is seeing a woman in a pulpit, presiding over communion, doing baptisms, etc., reminds us of God's feminine nature. Women in ministry are tangible examples of those maternal images in the Bible, like a mother hen collecting her chicks to her. And women can speak into elements of God's story with humanity in a way that men simply can't think of pregnancy and barrenness. Number two, when women are in leadership, more than half of our church populations can be better understood and served. As an example, after we lost our daughter, Eric and I, back in 2021, woman after woman shared their stories of loss with me. Some had never talked about that before, and they, several told me they never would have shared their stories with a male pastor. We all know seeing someone who looks like you in a position of authority provides a level of comfort and familiarity. Number three, and this is just the easiest one, women have been leading and preaching since the beginning of the church. To say nothing that if you go to church without women or try to have a church without women, the church would cease to exist. And then number four, this one is mine. Like I said, Meredith is too diplomatic to say this, but I will. If God chooses to call someone, and God calls all kinds of people into ministry, I am not getting in the way of that, and you shouldn't either. Who are we to tell anyone that the call they've experienced isn't real? Who are we to tell someone they're mistaken and have misunderstood God? Who are we to interfere with the eternal's plans? We don't understand them anyway, and that's the kind of thing that might get you smited. <laughs> so in conclusion, on this Covenant Sunday, it strikes me that there is a covenant that occurs in ordination. When you are ordained, you make a commitment to and with God to be set apart, not special, but set apart, to follow where you're led, and to always be mindful of the needs of God's people. It's a commitment based in love, devotion, and often blood, sweat, and tears. I suspect the same was true in the founding and adoption of Northminster's Covenant. It's probably why women have always had a leading role in this church and always will. It's probably we, why we have so many female founding members. It's certainly why I'm standing here today, and I have never been referred to as your female pastor. Thank you for that. 
Thanks be to God for Northminster, and thanks be to God that we aren't missing out on the passion, talent, boldness, faithfulness, and intelligence women bring into all aspects of ministry.
Really glad I went first. You would not need me after an anthem like that. Thank you, choir. As we come to this time of communion, we remember that this is the table of the heavenly feast, the joyful celebration of God's people. Christ invites everyone to come to this table and to eat of the bread of life and to drink of the cup of the new covenant. For as Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Those who come to me shall never hunger, and those who believe in me shall never thirst. Friends, this is not my table. This is not Northminster's table. This is Christ's table. We are the guest, and Christ is the host. There is a seat here with your name on it, so kick off your walking shoes and make yourself comfortable. We are standing and sitting and gathered on holy ground. All are wanted and all are welcomed here with our doubts and our shortcomings, our failures and our griefs. No matter what you bring with you to this table, you aren't just tolerated, you are overwhelmingly welcomed and wanted. Thanks be to God for a love like that. Now if you would please join me in the Lord's Prayer that is printed in your order of worship. And this version was, was written by Dr. Gaddy. Holy God of the universe, as expansive as all there is and as close to each of us as our breaths, with reverence we acknowledge your many names. With love we praise your unconditional grace. With devotion we seek Mother and Father God, you bless us with your mercy for imperfect people and empower us to build a blessed community. To you alone, Holy One, with highest praise, we give you our minds, hearts, bodies, words, and deeds. All are forever. Amen. The night before Jesus died was a solemn one around the table. Because of his relentless pursuit of love, Jesus would be seized by those in power, but before he was taken, Jesus introduced this simple meal to his followers. For even though he knew the end was coming, Jesus joined with those he loved. And as the night lengthened, he took a simple portion of bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he shared it with the disciples saying, remember me. And then after supper, Jesus picked up a cup, and as he poured it, he blessed it. And during his blessing of the cup, Jesus reminded the disciples that he would go to the ends of the earth out of love for them. Thanks be to God, he does the same for us. As one final instruction for this morning, being Covenant Sunday, we're going to ask 
that as you come through the communion line, you stop at this table here and sign your name to our church covenant as a reminder of the things that bring us together and keep us together. Amen.
Now hear this benediction. May God bless you with a distaste with superficial worship so that you will live deep within your soul. May God bless you with anger at prejudice so that you will work for justice. May God bless you with tears for those who sorrow so that you will offer comfort. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world. Go be salty. Amen.